You ever get excited about something that you just couldn't help it and you didn't even care what others thought? Your thrill was obvious to others around. Maybe it was that toy you received as a little child that your parents got you for Christmas. Or maybe there was that dog that you were given as a birthday present. Something we've all experienced at different moments in our lives. And we were caught in that moment and we didn't even care how crazy we looked to others. You see, for most of us, something terrible actually happens as we get older. We tend to lose the childlike wonder. We lose the thrill and excitement. It all just goes away and we become mature, sophisticated, and dignified, if you will. We need to act a certain way around other people because, you know, we're now older and only children act that way. We now have to become more sensitive to others' feelings while denying our own in the moment of great joy and excitement. We should not be so excited when we have something to shout about. After all, others may not have the same things to be thankful for as we do. As we continue down the spiral, it actually starts intersecting and affecting other areas of our lives, where it even intersects in matters of our faith. We find it strange to be excited about God's mercy publicly or declare his goodness while the world is in chaos. When we have a moment of joy, we decide, I better keep it in. I don't want to make it worse for others. And before you know it, we start living in the exact misery others live in without any difference. See, as we look at the text today and we look at David's heart, when it came to praising God, he didn't care what others thought. And I hope that you find courage to praise as he did without any shame. We're going to be looking at five things here in this text. Number one, the first thing we're going to be looking at is unbecoming fear. Unbecoming fear. Number two, we're going to be looking at unexpected blessing. Unexpected blessing. Number three, we'll be looking at undignified response. Undignified response. Number four, unending kingdom. Unending kingdom. And number five, undeniable gratitude. Undeniable gratitude. Let's start with the first one. Number one, unbecoming fear. In 2 Samuel chapter 6, verses 1 through 10. Again, David gathered all the choice men of Israel, 30,000. And David arose and went with all the people who were with him from Baal Judah to bring up from there the ark of God, whose name is called by the name the Lord of hosts, who dwells between the cherubim. So they set the ark of God on a new cart and brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill. And Uzzah and Ahio, the sons of Abinadab, drove the new cart. And they brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill, accompanying the ark of God. And Ahio went before the ark. Then David and all the house of Israel played music before the Lord on all kinds of instruments, of fir wood, on harps, on stringed instruments, on tambourines, on cisterns, and on cymbals. And when they came to Nacon's threshing floor, Uzzah put out his hand to the ark of God and took hold of it, for the oxen stumbled. Then the anger of the Lord was aroused against Uzzah, and God struck him there for his error, and he died there by the ark of God. And David became angry because of the Lord's outbreak against Uzzah. And he called the name of the place Paris Uzzah to this day. David was afraid of the Lord that day. And he said, how can the ark of the Lord come to me? So David would not move the ark of the Lord with him into the city of David. But David took it aside into the house of Obed-Edom the Gittite. 
we see here that David is bringing back the ark after a big win over the Philistines. The ark represented the Lord's presence and is actually still widely considered one of the most incredible historic pieces of the world. Many have still been looking for it to this day. The ark was equipped with poles to carry it and was to be carried by the Levites, a distinct set-apart group of men who were called to sacred ministry. See, what happened previously is the Philistines themselves, they actually used a cart to transport the Ark of the Covenant when they captured it previously. Here what we have happen is David actually puts it on a new cart. David and his 30,000 warriors with him were bringing the Ark back in victory to Jerusalem. They were excited about that victory over the Philistines and did not pay attention to how casual they were with what God expected when it came to the Ark of the Covenant. You see, as they traveled further... There must have been a shift on the cart, as we see here in the text, due to the oxen stumbling. And a man named Uzzah actually goes to steady the ark by grabbing it before something disastrous could happen to it. But as soon as he tried to help the situation, he was actually struck dead by God for his reverence. It says here in this text that David was angry with God for having the audacity to kill someone. I mean, he was just trying to help the situation by steadying the ark before anything could actually happen to it. The problem with David's response is very unique because God had already been merciful when they didn't even follow the instructions clearly laid out for the transportation of the Ark of the Covenant. You see, David had treated the Ark as just some regular furniture instead of following the proper procedures that God had set up. God could have actually responded earlier as they were transporting it, but he was merciful as he is with us in not doing so at the beginning. It was actually very gracious. So the question then becomes, why did God specifically kill Uzzah? I mean, wasn't it just a simple mistake that he made here? I mean, a response without thinking? The reason doesn't seem to be a rebellious one, but rather an irreverent one. It was because Uzzah's error or irreverence that he was killed. And some of this was due to David's own negligence and the proper transportation of the Ark of the Covenant, as we find here. What's interesting is David's first response after Uzzah's death was to get angry with God for doing what he did. But as he realized why this actually happened and how they had been casual in their bringing the ark back to Jerusalem, his anger actually turned to fear. So much so that David did not finish bringing the ark back to Jerusalem. He dropped it at Obed-Edom's house. Something to be said about being casual with what God's already given specific instructions regarding you see, many of us are just as guilty as David. We've been guilty and may still be guilty of taking God's instructions or commandments casually. Let's ask some of these questions sincerely. If God's to be loved with all our being, why do we refuse to give him certain areas in our life to direct? I mean, why do we think that we get to treat him like some casual friend that will bail us out no matter what when we're in trouble? C.S. Lewis actually makes a great point regarding this in his problem of pain statement. He says, the goodness of God, we mean nowadays almost exclusively his loving kindness. And in this, we may be right. And by love, in this context, most of us mean kindness, the desire to see others than the self happy. Not happy in this way or in that, but just happy. What would really satisfy us would be a God who said, if anything we happen to like doing, what does it matter so long as they are contented? 
We want, in fact, not so much a father in heaven as a grandfather in heaven, a senile benevolence who, as they say, liked to see young people enjoying themselves, and whose plan for the universe was simply that it may be truly said that at the end of each day, a good time was had by all. Not many people, I admit, would formulate a theology in precisely those terms. But a conception was not very different that lurks in the back of many minds. I do not claim to be an exemption or exception. I should very much like to live in a universe which was governed on such lines. But since I abundant, it's abundantly clear that I don't, and since I have reason to believe, nevertheless, that God is love, I conclude that my conception of love needs correction. See, we all need to adjust our perspective when it comes to God. And as David turn, finds out here, as his anger turns to fear, God actually has unexpected blessing awaiting even after judgment. Number two, we're going to be looking at unexpected blessing. Just in a simple verse, 2 Samuel 6, verse 11. It says, The ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom the Gittite three months. And the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and all his household. Now, there's a very short verse here, but there's a lot packed in. The ark remains in the house of Obed-Edom, and it says that God specifically blessed him and his house. From what we can tell, Obed-Edom was a Levite, if we look ahead in 1 Chronicles chapter 15, so it's very completely appropriate for him to have the ark in his home. What's also interesting here is the text clearly tells us that God blessed him. Now, the question many would have here is, what exactly was the blessing? I mean, how do we know? Well, we can get a clue in the next verse where we see it says, bless, bless the house of Obed-Edom and all that belongs to him. There was a return on investment because Obed-Edom pleased God by having the ark stay in his home. Now, we don't know for sure, but with Obed-Edom being a Levite, it's very possible that with the ark there, he consistently led his family in worship, which then turned into a blessing from God. Obed-Edom obviously did not respond with the same casual approach that Uzzah did, but responded maturely, knowing he was accountable before God and David for his taking care of the ark. He did not fail to take the horrible situation that happened to Uzzah and turn it into an opportunity to worship and praise God. Now, here's the incredible part. The incredible part here is that it took all of just three months, and it was very evident to others that God had blessed him. So here's a question for you. Maybe we're missing out on God's blessings because we've been treating him too casually. We haven't taken seriously the warnings of scripture, and we've wondered why everything in our lives seems to be a curse rather than a blessing. So when was the last time you and I made much of God and treated him with the reverence he deserved? Instead of molding him into our casual 21st century version we've come up with that just makes us feel good. When was the last time others noticed God's blessings in your life because we made sure to worship him in spirit and in truth? See, here's what's interesting. Obed-Edom's blessings from God were noticed so much so that the King David was notified and he goes all out in an undignified response here that we see in the text. The third point we're going to look at, undignified response, starting in verse number 12. It says this, now it was told King David, saying, The Lord has blessed the house of Obed-Edom and all that belongs to him because of the ark of God. So David went and brought up the ark of God. 
from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David, with gladness. And so it was, when those bearing the ark of the Lord had gone six paces, that he sacrificed oxen and fatted sheep. Then David danced before the Lord with all his might. And David was wearing a linen ephod. So David and all his house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting and with the sound of the trumpet. Now as the ark of the Lord came into the city of David, Michael, Saul's daughter, looked through a window and saw King David leaping and whirling before the Lord. And she despised him in her heart. So they brought the ark of the Lord and set it in its place, in the midst of the tabernacle that David had erected for it. Then David offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before the Lord. And when David had finished offering burnt offerings and peace offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord of hosts. Then he distributed among all the people, among the whole multitude of Israel, both the women and the men, to everyone a loaf of bread, a piece of meat, and a cake of raisins. So all the people departed, everyone to his house. Then David returned to bless his household. And Michael, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet David and said, How glorious was the king of Israel today, uncovering himself in the eyes of the maids of his servants, as one of the base fellows shamelessly uncovers himself. So David said to Michael, It was before the Lord who chose me instead of your father and all his house to appoint me ruler over the people of, is- of the Lord over Israel. Therefore I will play music before the Lord. And I will be even more undignified than this, and will be humble in my own sight. But as for the maidservants of whom you have spoken, by them I will be held in honor. Therefore, Michael, the daughter of Saul, had no children to the day of her death. What's interesting here, it's almost as if some whistleblowers decided to report to King David on the blessings of Obed-Edom from God. King David... You know, it's like they came up to him. King David, we, we have a problem here. You know, the, the, the guy whose house who dropped off the ark, well, he's getting quite the blessings from God. Uh, we've been watching him for the last few months, and uh, we don't think it's an accident. Something's going on here. What's interesting is David doesn't even waste any time in making sure. He immediately gets to correctly making sure his casual error is fixed. And he brings the Levites to carry the ark and offer sacrifice as prescribed by God. This time, David responds precisely by bringing reverence to God's specific instructions in dealing with the ark. What David does differently here, besides getting back to following God's instructions precisely, is David gets excited. He doesn't behave as one would assume a king should behave. He wears a linen ephod, which is implied to be a priestly garment that we actually see Samuel wears in 1 Samuel chapter 2. What we see here is David is not doing the kingly thing by acting dignified, but rather he's overjoyed, he's jumping excited about bringing the ark back to Jerusalem. He seems to be making a fool out of himself, so much so that his wife, Michael, when she sees him, she just can't believe her husband would act like this in front of others. David actually goes ahead and he offers burnt and peace offerings before the Lord, and he blesses the people that gathered with him. He then comes home, You know, probably just still so excited about the blessings of having the Ark of the Covenant restored to Jerusalem. Uh, And he was hoping that he would have the same blessing as Obed-Edom, only to get stiff-armed by his wife. Scolding him for the way he behaved in public, not wearing what a king should in front of others. David comes back to tell Michael, look honey, this was for God, not for others, not for you. 
He even says, God chose me to be the leader of Israel. I play music before him. I, I don't really care how crazy it looks. I might look crazier than this, but I'm so humbled by what God's done for me. This isn't arrogance or me showing off. It says here at the end that Michael did not have children do the response of this event. It's possible that David separated from Michael or even that God closed her womb specifically in response to this event. So what, what can we draw from this section here? Well, one thing is, Stop worrying about what others think in your praise towards God. Your excitement over his goodness, how grateful you are for the things that he's given you. Your nice home, how cute your kids are, how grateful you are for your spouse. Stop letting people destroy your praise to God. Yes, we do need to weep with those that weep. But the flip side is also rejoice with those that rejoice. I don't know why so many of us have been trapped and not able to express joy or excitement for what God is doing in our lives by others whose circumstances are presently difficult or maybe even miserable. That shouldn't stop you from praising God. If your response is to just rub your blessings in people's faces, that's not what we're talking about here. But if your response is one of, God, you've been so good to me, I can't, I can't help but praise you. And it's not this prideful, arrogant, better-than-you response. Get excited. Get thrilled. And if you're a Baptist, dance. David danced before the Lord with all his might. That's what the text actually says. Start applying it. Reread verse 14 again in case you don't think it's in the Bible. It's good to rejoice. It's good to be glad. It's good to be excited about what God and his presence and his blessings in your life have done it for you. Get over the pity party that others are throwing and be thrilled in the God of your salvation. The real blessing for David comes in the promise that we see here for the unending kingdom as, reveal, as revealed here in the next chapter. We'll be looking at this in just some of the verses mentioned. The first, fourth point we're going to be looking at, the unending kingdom. 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses 12 through 16. Look what it says. When your days are fulfilled and you rest with your fathers, I will set up your seed after you, who will come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father, and he shall be my son. If he commits iniquity, I will chasten him with the rod of men and with the blows of the sons of men. But my mercy shall not depart from him, as I took it from Saul, whom I removed from before you. And your house and your kingdom shall be established forever before you. Your throne shall be established forever. God promises David a great name, rest from his enemies, which I'm sure he probably really appreciated after having so many difficult conflicts in his life, and a seed whose throne would be established forever. Now, something should actually catch our attention in verse 14 and 15. It says, I will be his father and he shall be my son. If he commits iniquity, I will chasten him with the rod of men and with the blows of the sons of men, but my mercy shall not depart from him. In God's promise to David regarding his son Solomon, he is actually promising him the Messiah who will one day become sin for us. Jesus Christ is one in essence and being with the Father. Jesus, though he did not sin, became sin for us and was punished for our sin. As blessed as Obed-Edom was, and God giving him an increase in the things that he possessed, that just paled in comparison to what David's blessing of an unending kingdom, which culminated in the physical future return and reign of Jesus Christ. Nothing to compare between the two.
You see, if you're a disciple of Jesus Christ, you, should, you already have the greatest blessing promised to the patriarchs, Moses and even David here. You have the Messiah. Don't get overwhelmed and frustrated about what others seem to have and then when they have it better than you. If they don't have Christ, they don't have something that's eternal. They don't have hope. They are missing out on the greatest blessing this world has ever known. Now, you and I are to share this blessing with others, not just conveniently keep it to ourselves and we don't want to offend, we don't want to upset anybody, but respond as David does here in verses 18 through 22 in undeniable gratitude. Number five, undeniable gratitude. Starting in verse 18 here, it says, Then King David went in and sat before the Lord. And he said, Who am I, O Lord God? And what is my house that you have brought me this far? And yet this was a small thing in your sight, O Lord God. And you have also spoken of your servant's house for a great while to come. Is this the manner of man, O Lord God? Now what more can David say to you? For you, Lord God, know your servant. For your word's sake and according to your own heart, you have done all these great things to make your servant know them. Therefore you are great, O Lord God, for there is none like you, nor is there any God besides you, according to all that we have heard with our ears. David's response is one of undeniable gratitude. As one translation actually puts it, Who am I, O sovereign Lord? David is absolutely humbled by what God has just promised in establishing his kingdom forever. He's so moved and grateful for God's grace towards him, knowing that he is just a man and far from a perfect man. Are you moved like this and grateful for what God has blessed you with in this life? Or do you tend to give yourself a lot more credit than you deserve? What about the greatest blessing that he's ever given you? Jesus Christ. Are you moved by the death of Jesus enough to publicly praise him without being ashamed of what it looks like to others? Take a personal self-inventory. How much of your time have you spent complaining about your circumstances instead of shamelessly praising God for who he is and how he has blessed you? It should not matter what others think. Praise God even during the hard times. He always deserves our praise. After all, you and I, we never deserved his grace. As the same King David actually says in one of his Psalms, he says, What shall I render the Lord for all his benefits towards me? And he responds with a very striking statement. He says, I will take up the cup of salvation and call upon the name of the Lord. See, you need the Lord Jesus Christ more than any other blessing in this life. Continually call on his name. Keep doing that. So in closing, just a simple question. What can you praise God for today? What can you praise God for today? You know, instead of all your problems being put out there for the world to see, why don't you share the blessings?